When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seibin. It's Monday again, and that means it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And I want to begin first, as we always do, by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. We have Bruce Obenauer and Robert Santalon, who is also known as your geeky tipster on YouTube, another fellow YouTube creator. You can find his channel over at lon.tv slash tipster if you want to check out what he's all about. And now we're going to move on to our non-ad ad this week. Every week I put in an ad position in the hopes that we might be able to sell some advertising on the wrap-up here. And I've got a good one for you this week. Uh, so you all know I'm a big fan of Plex. And, of course, we have our ongoing affiliate relationship with Plex. So you can go to lon.tv slash Plex. And if you sign up for a free account, we get a commission on that. Uh, there's also a way to gift one of their Plex Pass subscriptions to a friend. And this week, uh, there is a way that you can get a Plex Pass subscription for six months for free. And that is by buying my favorite media player, which is the NVIDIA Shield TV. Uh, so if you buy one, you get six months of Plex Pass usage. And with that, you can then get a deal on the HD Home Run. So they're extending an offer to Plex Pass subscribers until July 17th to get 30% off one of the HD Home Run Network tuners. So you can have uh, one good deal that kind of goes into the next one. And uh, we can get a small commission based on that from the affiliate sales, both of the NVIDIA Shield as well as you are signing up for a Plex account. So if you are uh, interested in that, definitely check it out with the links that you just saw. So I had a pretty productive week this week insofar as uploads are concerned. So we had six videos go up to the Extras channel since the last wrap-up went up on the channel here. So you can see a bunch of unboxings and some supplementary content as well. I have about 3,000 subscribers now on the Extras channel. So if you haven't subscribed, please do. I'm trying to build that one up a little bit because I can upload with more volume over there than here just because I like to have all these videos here be polished and produced. Uh, The Extras channel is unboxings and a lot of more casual content, but a lot of it feeds into what I do here, and I'm getting a lot of good feedback from the Extras channel that I bring over to here when I do my main review. So if you are uh, eager to see what I'm working on, you can check it out there. I do all sorts of different things over on the Extras channel. On the main channel, we looked at a whole bunch of stuff this week. We had a 27-inch ultra-thin monitor from Dell, $800 monitor. It does support USB Type-C, so you can plug in a single cable and charge your laptop and then get the video over to the display, and they have uh, some USB ports on the display as well. The one problem with it is that it only supports 45 watts of charging, so big laptops won't work very well. Little ones do, but you can see the... Uh, full review to see what that one's all about. It's a 1440p display. We also had our monthly sponsored video from Plex where I showed you how the new DVR live TV feature works. And if you are uh, looking to watch live TV on your iPad or iPhone in the house, this is a very good solution because it works on those devices as part of your Plex Pass subscription. And on the iPad, you can even do the picture-in-picture thing. It's coming to Android devices shortly, uh, but it does work now with the NVIDIA Shield TV. So you can see how all of it works here. So you can now record Live, uh, record live TV and watch live TV uh, with Plex along with a compatible network tuner. 
We also took a look at the Xiaomi Mi Pad 3. It's an iPad mini alternative tablet. Nice little device running Android. It doesn't have a fingerprint sensor and a few other things I would have liked, but uh, overall, not a, little, not, a, not a bad little deal here. So you can check out that one and see what it's all about. And we checked out the Hyperkin Retron HD. It's a $39 NES clone that will run uh, your old games on cartridges. It's not perfect, but it's cheap and it works and it might be worth taking a look at. So you can see my full review linked down below in the master playlist. We also did a follow-up that has some errata attached to it on the Lenovo Yoga 72015 because we looked at how the Thunderbolt port worked on the 13-inch with the eGPU, and a lot of people wanted to see if the 15 would have the same performance. And I thought going into this that the 13 had four lanes of uh, PCI Express going over its Thunderbolt port, and I had heard that this one only had two. Uh, what I found since I uploaded this video is that both the 13 and the 15 have only two lanes of PCI Express traffic. I actually posted up a little article that I wrote uh, that you can find at the uh, link down there. Uh, so you can read more about exactly what's going on with these devices. The good news is that it doesn't really impact performance of the eGPU I was testing, namely a GTX 1070. So I think within reason, if you've got like a mid-level GPU in your eGPU box, you're not going to see any real difference in performance. You're going to be maxing out uh, that card just with two lanes of traffic, at least if you have an external display attached. One thing I do want to test, which I'll probably do in the next week or two, is my MacBook Pro, which does have four lanes of traffic going to its Thunderbolt port. I want to see if maybe we get better performance when we're running on its internal display with the external GPU. Uh, that did result in a performance hit on the Lenovo's, and I didn't yet test that on the Mac to see if we'd had the same issue there. So I got some more things to test out with this, but I definitely wanted to clear the air on that. It is only two lanes, but again, doesn't seem to have an impact on a mid-range GPU if you're planning to do an eGPU on that device. And I appeared on another YouTube channel, the YouTube Creators Hub, which is a podcast, but it's also part of a YouTube channel run by Dusty Porter, who's a fellow creator, does a lot of tech on the platform. We talked about uh, what it was like going full-time and some of the things that I think about now running this as a full-time business and occupation. So it's a really fun interview, actually, and you can check it out at the link down below. And I've also put it on my audio podcast feed as well. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. We are now in week 13 of me doing this full time. And it was a very productive week, as you can see from all the content that I pushed out. I had a bunch of uh, consulting work that I was doing the prior week, which kind of slowed me down last week. So I felt like I really got caught up this week, which really helped. So uh, I really am, I keep saying this, but I am bringing on somebody to help with some of the other tasks around the channel here to help me be more productive. The problem is finding the right person. And I'm really taking some time here to try to figure out whether I need to bring in somebody uh, into this place every day, which is becoming a little bit more challenging to find that right person or uh, maybe outsource different parts of it. One of the things that I discovered is that I might be able to package up some of my videos for editing uh, into a way that I could actually transmit to somebody with Final Cut Pro. So I'm considering maybe uh, having some of that done remotely. And if you're interested in perhaps editing some of my videos, uh, I'm interested in talking to you. I don't have a lot of money to spend on this project, but the editing doesn't take all that long either. So if you have Final Cut Pro and a pretty fast internet connection and you have a few hours here or there to spare uh, might be something uh, we should talk about. So definitely leave me a comment down below or actually better yet, email me at lon at lon.tv because I might be able to have a few people that I go to with this
this kind of thing. I'm thinking in particular uh, videos like the wrap-up here where I shoot this usually in the morning. I shot it later in the afternoon today because I was watching the Apple event, but it'd be nice to be able to farm this out to somebody and have them edit it and shoot the footage back to me. One of the cool things that Final Cut Pro does is it can actually take my large video that I'm shooting raw here, uh, compress it down into something really small that somebody can work on, and they can actually just shoot me back the, uh, just the, the project file itself, which I can then reintegrate and put in with my big files here and uh, upload. So it actually would be a pretty quick process, uh, at least on the return trip. The outgoing trip is about you know, three or four gigs of, of data, but not all that bad. So if you're interested, definitely let me know down below. I think I want to get this editing thing done first and then uh, look at some of the in-house stuff that I might be able to get uh, from somebody locally here. So Final Cut Pro only, but let me know if you are interested and let me know what your rates are and I'll see if I can make it work with the budget that I have here. And as I mentioned, I was watching the Apple keynote earlier today and one of the big announcements they made was about iMessage and a pretty big change to it actually that not a lot of people are talking about because there's a lot of shiny new objects that they are uh, releasing, which I'll get to in a second. Now, uh, iMessage, if you're not familiar, is a messaging technology that uh, works across all of Apple's devices, Macs, iPads, iPhones, iPod touches, and I can send a message to, for example, my wife who also has an iPhone, and rather than going through my uh, cell phone provider's texting system, the SMS system, it goes through Apple, and an encrypted message is sent from my phone to hers, and the private keys for that encryption uh, reside on each of our phones, and if our phones are locked, uh, nobody can get at that private key to decrypt the communication, not even Apple. It's been one of the selling points of the iMessage system. Additionally, uh, Apple has not been storing those messages in the cloud. So for example, if I have an iPhone with three years worth of messaging data stored locally on this device, if I buy a new iPad, those messages are not synced up unless I'm restoring from an iCloud backup. In other words, Apple is not within its iMessage infrastructure, not storing the individual communications between users unless they elect to put it into an iCloud backup. But again, the messaging system has been totally separate. Now today, uh, they announced that they're going to be doing synchronization of messaging. Uh, now, it does solve a problem that uh, this uh, non-syncing created, which was that all of your archives are stored locally on your phone. And I've got gigabytes now of uh, messaging archives on my phone that I don't want to erase. Things like uh, my little log to my family about the birth of our two daughters, all that cool stuff is all sitting inside of this phone with pictures and everything else that I don't want to lose, but I also don't want to necessarily store on my device all the time. So there is some convenience being added here, but I'm wondering what this is going to do for user privacy, specifically around how the government uh, or any government might be able to get access to my messages now stored on Apple's server. So if the synchronization becomes a default feature, uh, now all of this messaging data and the archives of it uh, will be stored forever on Apple's servers and presumably accessible to law enforcement because before all the private keys were tied to the phones and the communication going between them. Uh, now there's got to be some other private key stored somewhere else, I'm assuming. We'll have to read into this a little bit later. Uh, that will probably be accessible to government. Maybe this was a concession that Apple made to uh, authorities here because there's been a big dust up between the FBI and Apple over gaining access to uh, sometimes impenetrable iPhones that they're trying to get information from. So I'm really eager to see how the security plays out with this because Apple was really touting this fact that they didn't store messages as a, as a real privacy uh, a boost here for their users, and now they are. This is a big change. I'm really uh, eager to see exactly how they're going to secure user data 
data from uh, governments moving forward. And Apple did announce a bunch of updates to their Mac line, including a new iMac Pro that'll be out in December. It's going to start at $5,000. It's coming out in December because it needs to be out before the end of the year so everybody can take their tax write-off on these things. So they're definitely going to be uh, sending out the little reminder email in December when it comes out to say, hey, you know, you can take $25,000 off your taxes if you buy $25,000 of computers from us this year. So I think we'll be seeing a lot of that. Uh, So the iMac Pro is a a pretty expensive device, but it's a workstation crammed into the iMac footprint. And uh, this may or may not be of interest to folks. I think one of the things that's happened is Apple has lost a lot of Pro users because their computers have simply not been keeping up performance-wise with the rest of the industry. You can get much faster GPUs and processors in Windows computers that uh, may even cost less. They don't look as pretty, but uh, they perform a lot better. The Mac Pro has really upset a lot of people in the professional community, primarily because it was obsolete uh, so quickly after its release by the iMac, which is a consumer level. In fact, when I was looking to uh, get a desktop computer for the channel, I was looking at the iMac, and then I looked at the Mac Pro, and I said, geez, the iMac seems to be a better buy. It has the performance level that I need and uh, offers the 5K display, which you couldn't even get for uh, the Mac Pro. So it looks like they're going to be doing that. The uh, lower level iMacs now will also support VR if they have a discrete GPU built into them. So uh, there's definitely some performance improvements here, but they're still kind of behind where Windows is. And really it comes down to, uh, again, being thin and light. This seems to be a common discussion here on the channel. If you like the way the Apple hardware looks, they've got really the nicest displays out there. I've not seen better displays than what I have on my uh, iMac 5K. And I look at a lot of displays here uh, on the channel. That one is still the best. It's still the brightest. And I guess they even made it brighter in the next edition. I don't see any reason to upgrade. The one I have now is perfectly fine. So I'm not going to be buying this $5,000 computer. I'm saying that now because I don't want to. Um, But uh, it it is an attractive thing to have a workstation in something like this. The big issue with these Macs, though, for me, is that I can't work on them. So I could follow the iFixit guide to take them apart and install hard drives and whatnot. But if you have a hard drive failure on this, uh, you just need to take it into the Apple store. And therefore, you pretty much need to get the Apple Care in order to not uh, rack up a huge service bill. And for me, I don't have an Apple store nearby. It's about an hour round trip to the two that are nearby where I live. So it's kind of an inconvenience here to work on these things. So I dread my uh, iMac ever going down because they are impossible to work on. And that's the one advantage that uh, Windows machines have and the Mac Pro, for even uh, for example, had because you can take them apart and swap out components. Not so easy on these Macs. You've got to take the front glass off. You risk really breaking a lot of stuff just to get at the hard drive uh, which has always aggravated me with these things. So for me, the, Mac, the iMac Pro is a miss. I was hoping they'd have a more practical desktop computer that might be of interest, but that does not look to be the case. Now, one thing that did interest me and prompted me to make an order is the new iPad Pro 10.5. And uh, what I found intriguing about this is, uh, first, it's performance gains. I want to see if they hold up, at least compare the two. Uh, but also the display. It's 120 hertz now, and it supports HDR. So it supports 10-bit color, 120 hertz. It'll also turn itself down to lower frame rates as well. So it'll run in a 24p mode. I believe there's a 48p mode for the few movies that support that 48 frames per second uh, format there. So lots of intriguing little things about this. And the most interesting one was the the latency. They're promising 20 milliseconds of latency 
on that touch panel with the Apple Pencil, and I'm assuming with uh, fingers as well. And that's pretty darn quick. In fact, uh, what we've tested here in the studio with our game controllers and stuff, uh, the best performance I've had is about 30 milliseconds, and that is with an old Nintendo hooked up with a wire to a CRT television, analog all the way through for the most part. Uh, that's about 30, 28 to 30 milliseconds. Uh, this looks like it might be a little faster than that. That is pretty darn quick from a latency standpoint, especially on a modern digital device. Uh, so I'm really eager just to try out all of those things, and iPads usually do pretty well on the channel. It does look a little larger, though, than the current one that I have, the 9.7. Uh, they did make the bezels a little thinner, so it's not as big as it could have been, but it would have been awesome to see a completely bezel-less device like the iPhone is rumored to be or the new Samsung phone is, uh, but this one is not. So we'll see what the size looks like and what the performance differences are, and we'll have a full review up uh, when this comes in, hopefully next week. And they are continuing to evolve the Apple Watch interface, and uh, they are actually adding something that I thought should have been on it from the get-go, which is a, a Google Now-like interface with cards that puts things up in front of you based on what it thinks you should know ahead of time, using some of that machine learning that Google keeps talking about. So they are adding that watch face to the mix. There's a bunch of other features as well. It looks like they're really doubling down on fitness features right now in the Apple Watch because they have now, according to a new report here that I was going to talk about even before all of today's announcements, uh, they've actually surpassed Fitbit in uh, their watch sales. So this is probably the most popular wearable out there on the market right now. And what's been really interesting to me, because I observe things and I know people that are not techies, uh, a lot of my non-techie acquaintances are buying these Apple watches. I'm seeing them on more and more wrists than I've ever seen before. So the price point is probably where it needs to be now. And I think people are uh, really getting a lot out of them. I bought this two and a half years ago or so, maybe two years ago, uh, just to do a review on the channel. My, my intention wasn't really to keep it because I wasn't really a watch wearer. I haven't... I haven't taken it off in two years. You've seen, them, seen it here on my wrist uh, throughout all of these things. And I really have found it quite useful at certain times, especially now that I'm a father of two and I often have things or children in my hands and can't answer a phone or can't uh, respond to a message. I can do all of that now. The Apple Pay thing is a really killer feature for me. When I go and get my coffee, I can just uh, tap my watch against something there and get that done uh, so I don't have to give my credit card and have it stored in some retailer's database somewhere. So there's been a lot of features on this watch that I've been using, but there's no killer app. There's really no app that I use and can't live without on the watch like I would have on my phones and other devices. But I found it to be a really useful little thing. And the fitness thing does help, actually, because I always want to close my a little exercise ring and some other stuff. So I really like it. I've been using it for quite a while. In hindsight, I probably should have gotten the more expensive one because uh, the glass face on here will get scratched up over time. It's pretty much the same material as the phone is, and you will see scratches on the phone pretty quickly. Uh, definitely the case with the watch. In fact, this is my second watch because my uh, daughter about a year and a half ago smashed my other one. She took it off the counter and dropped it on the floor and uh, there, was, there goes the screen, so I had to get a replacement. Uh, so I would say probably going with the sapphire face may have been the better choice. But what I really want to see them get rid of is that uh, little dial there. Let me put the thing back there. That little dial there does nothing for me. And uh, when I'm on a, on a train, for example, and taking my backpack with me to New York, uh, whenever I take the backpack off, I'm always hitting that little dial and setting the watch off and everything. It's really a, a useless feature. I would actually prefer this with no buttons on it at all because it does have a, a fairly useful touch screen that I usually use to scroll anyhow. But I really like my Apple Watch. I know a lot of you are not Apple fans, but uh, there's a bunch of reasons why I use Apple products, and 
Uh, this was an interesting thing to watch. I think they have some, something going there with the wearables, and we'll see where it comes out uh, along there. Now, in other news, Intel announced their Core X line of high-end processors. We talked about that 18-core processor on the Xeon side. There's also going to be a uh, core version of it for uh, PCs and whatnot. So I'm really interested to see how the Core i9, which is their new one, the new high-performance chip, how this will do in games. Can games benefit from 18 cores? I want to know. Let me know down in the comments what you think on that one. We got some discussion on my Facebook page about that. And one last story caught my eye here, speaking of computer repairs, which is a lawsuit uh, being uh, filed against the FBI and the Justice Department about training the Best Buy Geek Squad to look for stuff on customer computers. So uh, here in the U.S., we have a retailer called Best Buy. They sell computers and TVs and all that kind of stuff. And they've got a division called the Geek Squad that repairs computers. And they actually dress them all up like uh, FBI agents with the black ties and, and dark jackets and everything. It's kind of funny. And it turns out they may actually be working for the FBI or at least being trained by them. And apparently there was some acknowledgement in this article that uh, the Geek Squad has been trained by the FBI to look for stuff. And now the question is, are they going out of their way to rummage through customer files looking for things that they might want to report to the FBI? Or is this something that they'd incidentally come across in the course of repairing a computer? Who knows? But this is one of those things that if you send your computer in for repair, uh, do not give them your password. If they insist on a password or an administrator account, wipe the computer out and give them something completely empty to work with here because you never know what these people are going to do with your computer uh, when it's in there. What are they going to pull off their, uh, your hard drive in the course of trying to repair it? And I'm always very nervous about this. Even Apple, who's all about security and everything else, uh, they act, ask for your password over the phone before you mail a computer in, which is crazy that you've got a customer service person uh, typing in a password, your password, your key to all your private information on your computer, going into their systems and getting passed around to a couple of different employees when those uh, computers go in for repair. So what I do whenever I have a repair, which is rare, but when I do, I wipe it out uh, and send them a completely blank slate to work from because you do not want to hand over your password to anyone because who knows what these folks are going to be doing uh, with your private information. Are they, again, going after your personal data unnecessarily here in the hopes that they might find something they can turn over to the FBI? Who knows? But uh, all I know is keep those passwords to yourself and wipe out those computers before they go in for repair. And now it's time for some Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Derwin Estramera, who is curious if I ever have been invited to cover Computex. And if you don't know what Computex is, it's a, a big computer trade show out in Taipei, Taiwan. It is a quite a distance from where I am here in Connecticut, and it would take me a while to get there. It would be very expensive for me to go because I'd have to pay for me as well as somebody to help me because I like to have somebody on camera when I cover an event like that or like CES and some of the other stuff that we have looked at in the past here on the channel. Uh, so from a cost perspective, it's hard for me to be competitive uh, with CNET and many other larger outlets that have a huge audience that will give them enough viewership over the course of that event to make it worth it. For me, uh, my business model is really producing evergreen content that lasts a really long time. So unless I have uh, some business reason for going to a show, uh, it's not going to make a lot of sense for me just to go and cover it. I'm sure I could get press credentials to go there. Uh, what I do quite a bit, though, is go to New York City because there are a lot of events that happen in New York. Uh, so many of the media organizations that you all uh, consume on a regular basis are based out of New York City. So a lot of the brands have a lot of events there in addition to some other uh, trade show kind of events that go on. So I go into New York quite a bit. It's very easy for me 
to go to New York. In fact, I got a train uh, right next door to where I live that can take me there in about two hours. And in many cases, I can go in in the morning and be back home uh, in the evening. So you can't beat that for travel. It's very affordable and it makes a lot of sense. And I'm able to provide you with a lot of cool stuff uh, as a result of that. So if you do hear of things going on in New York, uh, don't assume that I know about them. Definitely leave me a comment down below or an email to lon at lon.tv and I will I'll see about getting over to New York. I usually go in once or twice a month into the city and I really love going to New York just to be there. So uh, anything that you know about, I'd love to hear about because those are always the best trips for me to make and I can definitely get you some great content. In fact, I'm going to New York uh, next week for one of these Pepcom shows where a whole bunch of consumer electronic brands get together in one place and I can talk to a lot of different companies that you've seen some of my uh, videos that I've done from those before. So let me know. I'm happy to cover anything that you might know about in New York as my schedule allows. And Sheik1982 wrote, wrote in in response to my Plex DVR video about the fact that cable companies are not going to like this. They're not going to see a convenience factor and all they're going to say is piracy. And uh, there's certainly some risk here that cable companies could decide to start encrypting all of their content on top of requiring you to buy the cable card or rent the cable card uh, from them to get the channels that are part of your subscription plan. In fact, many uh, or some cable providers do that right now. And for those uh, scenarios where your cable provider encrypts everything, uh, this will not work with the Plex DVR. The HD Home Run solution, which will in- consist of their HD Home Run View application and their DVR add-on, uh, will support that in the near future. And they're going through the motions now to try to get that software certified. Their hardware does work uh, with DRM on Windows Media Center, but the process of getting this DRM certified from the cable gods is uh, immensely difficult, very expensive, and there's a lot of liability if uh, someone were to break your encryption scheme and start pirating content. So you have to get it right the first time to make it all work. So on uh, the HD Home Run side of things, you can do it with uh, the Windows uh, application, their HD Home Run View app uh, on Windows and also on the Xbox One. You can watch live uh, encrypted DRM content through your cable system on those two platforms, but you can't record it yet. You will at some point in the future, uh, but Plex will probably never support that. However, it does work fine over the air. So if you have an over-the-air broadcast or broadcast that you can receive from your home or office, uh, you can bring it into your Plex server and uh, stream it out to your heart's content. Nobody can stop you from doing that, primarily because uh, the use of this kind of activity, home recording or uh, streaming stuff to yourself, is a fair use. There was a court case uh, back in the 80s between Sony and uh, Universal Pictures over the Betamax uh, video recorder uh, over this home recording thing. And there was a five to four Supreme Court decision that decided uh, use your own private use of content that you are receiving and paying for in many cases uh, is a fair use. You can do whatever you want with it, provided you're not selling it or broadcasting it out to others. So if you are planning to sell access to your Plex server, I uh, strongly suggest you don't do that because you will land yourself into some trouble there. There are uh, broadcast retransmission laws here in the U.S. about that kind of thing. But if you're just doing it between you and your family, uh, you should be fine and no one's going to come after you. And probably nobody's going to know you're even doing it, but you are uh, protected under the law here. So just keep it between your family and you and you should be just fine. And this next question comes in from Timothy Baxter. I've got a couple other interesting side notes on this one in a second. Uh, He's wondering if I knew that Amazon was using my video of the NVIDIA Shield TV on their product listing. And if you go over to that uh, product listing, you'll see it down there below in the related video shorts. Now, a couple of months ago, 
uh, or maybe a year ago now, who knows, uh, Amazon initiated a new way for creators to share content on uh, Amazon systems. So I can upload my videos to Amazon, and when people watch it on Amazon, I get a small cut of Prime uh, members watching my videos. And I haven't done too much with that because it's very difficult to get your videos on Amazon. You need very accurate closed captioning. You need to have uh, no references to external websites anywhere in the video. They actually have people that watch every video that gets uploaded, and uh, more often than not, they reject my video for some reason or another, and it was just too time-consuming based on the very small amount of money I've been earning from it. But I do a lot of product reviews on Amazon because, as many of you know, I've been a member of the Amazon Vine program uh, for the last 10 years. In fact, my membership in that program has led to my creation of the channel because I started reviewing things that I was getting through Amazon on YouTube, and that was what really got everything moving here. So I'm very grateful to Amazon for that opportunity. And what they've been doing apparently is uh, grabbing that customer review content and integrating it into their video shorts thing. Unfortunately, I'm not getting compensated uh, for views on these videos, but uh, the Amazon Vine program has been so good for the channel, I'm okay with it, and I'm willingly putting my content there and giving Amazon permission uh, in doing so to use my content in different ways on their platform, and it works out well for me. Uh, half my revenue month to month comes from Amazon Associates, the affiliate program, so I'm okay with that. I think I'm being fairly compensated for uh, use of my content. However, there are some uh, things that happen here that are not good uses of my content and basically amount to content theft. I talked about this a little bit before. And I'm so grateful to Jose View and many other viewers who uh, have been very frequently letting me know when others are re-uploading my content. Because what happens a lot is people grab my Amazon videos because they do not have my intros and outros on them. I can't put my logo on it because uh, that is not allowed per Amazon's rules. They download the video from Amazon, upload it to YouTube, usually with an affiliate link, which then uh, earns money for that person off of the content that I work so hard to make. And it drives me crazy. And unfortunately, I don't have the tools available to me that uh, other larger creators have, namely that automated content takedown system I don't get access to as a small creator. So what I have to do uh, is when somebody like Jose here notifies me that my content was uploaded somewhere, I then have to go over to the YouTube copyright page here, fill out the whole big form for the DMCA takedown, uh, click submit, and for every video, I've got to go through the motions here of finding the video that is in violation, finding the one that belongs to me and putting that one on the form, uh, clicking submit and going through this process every single time. It is arduous, but I found that the more I do it, the less things happen with my content because uh, the people that are out there distributing this content to others are less likely to do it if the people getting the content are going to get copyright strikes against them. The copyright strike, uh, I believe, lasts for six months or so on a person's channel when they re-upload my content, and I, I have a no-tolerance policy for this. If you want to use my content in some way, ask permission. It's very easy. I can tell you what I'm comfortable with, what I'm not comfortable with, and we can take it from there. But to just blatantly rip me off, not cool, and I really appreciate everyone letting me know. So what's funny is every once in a while, the person that uses my content illegally will write in begging me for uh, that trait, that copyright strike to go down. And in this case, the person said, well, I guess that there was somebody impersonating you, and uh, they said I could upload the video because they said it was you, and uh, he, this guy paid this guy $5 to steal my content and re-upload it. He got ripped off, didn't he? Um, so this is the example of the kind of stuff that goes on there. In this case, it's probably some kid that didn't know any better, but you really should know better. If you're going to start a YouTube channel, make your own content. Don't steal other people's content, and don't pay people who are stealing other people's content to do it. Hopefully, that was a lesson learned and $5 lost for this guy. I hope he didn't spend too much money buying a bunch of uh, pirated Amazon review content. 
And now it's time for a Q&A for you. And as I sit here making this video, I'm looking at all the little time frames next to the video clips that I'm making. And I'm thinking this one's going to go longer than 30 minutes or close to it. And I've been looking at over the last couple of months, it used to be 15 minutes and then it got to 25 minutes. And now we're uh, frequently in the half hour territory. Are these videos too long? If so, let me know. I'll start taking some things out because uh, I just keep going here and I like to cover a whole bunch of stuff. And I know people are, are enjoying the wrap up and appreciate the fact that I put an index down below. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you if you think these videos should be shorter or if you're okay with them being the length that they are. I am now uploading a audio version every Tuesday to my podcast feed. So you will be able to get this in audio form if you want to put it on your iPod or something to walk around with it. I generally don't have too much uh, visual content in this, so you can uh, definitely do that if you wish. But let me know down below in the comment stream. Next, we have the channel of the week. And this week, we're going to recognize John's Arcade. As you all know, I love my retro games and I love arcade games more than anything else because they're so few places for me to play them around here these days. And John uh, actually doesn't live too far from me. I don't know him, but he's not far from where I live because I've seen him driving around in some of the highways that I drive around on. And uh, he buys old arcade games and refurbishes them and gets them working again. And his basement is filled with it. What's great is he uh, starts off every video down there. He's got everything turned on. It reminds me of my uh, childhood running around video arcades with all the familiar sights and sounds there. So cool channel. And he goes on for uh, really long uh, videos here, far longer than what you're watching here. Usually they're about an hour or so or more of him just kind of walking through stuff. And it's a great channel if you like to have stuff running in the background at work or something. Really uh, fun to see what he's up to. And he's got a great personality. Really enjoy uh, watching him and his enthusiasm. So this week on the channel, I've got a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not sure if we're going to get to all of it, but uh, Elias Saba, who runs AFTVnews.com, is going to let me borrow his Echo Look, which is this creepy Amazon Echo camera that uh, does a couple of things like take selfies and stuff. It works like an Amazon Alexa does. And then you can also ask it for fashion advice. And uh, you all know I wear like five or six different things. Maybe I'll just put all five on and see which one it likes the best. So we'll uh, play around with this. I think I should have it later this week. So we'll be reviewing that hopefully. I found this on Dell the other day. This is a gaming laptop, the Inspiron 5000. Uh, that is a completely AMD-based machine, both its CPU and GPU. They go for about anywhere from $650 to $800. It runs with the RX 460 GPU, which is the same GPU that's in the new MacBook Pro. This obviously costs a lot less than that, so we'll see how an all-AMD gaming laptop compares to uh, some of the Intel-based ones that, in, that Dell has, including one that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, so I hope to get to that. Uh, this one we're finally going to get to the uh, Leva Z Plus, which is a uh, i5-based machine. It's a very small uh, little computer about the size of some of those fanless devices we usually look at that are relatively slow. This one's pretty quick. It's got a laptop i5 KB Lake processor inside, and I think it might be of interest to people looking to run a home theater PC because it can do all the HEVC content that some of those less expensive devices cannot do. So we'll take a look at this and see how well it can dissipate heat. It is not fanless. It's got a little fan in there, but a full-blown i5 KB Lake chip, and we'll test it out for uh, Plex serving also. And we're also going to be taking a look at HP's PageWide technology this week or next. And this is a, a newer printing technology that has been mostly at the commercial level for a while, but now it's making its way down to the enterprise and small business markets. And uh, what this is is a printing technology that rather than having a head that goes back and forth like a traditional inkjet printer does, uh, this one prints as the paper is running through. So the ink gets sprayed down on the page 
as the page is running through. So you get the benefits of an inkjet, but it is a lot faster like a laser printer might be. So you do get some better photo quality out of it uh, when printing documents. And this is not a small device. I thought I was getting like the home office edition. They sent over the, uh, the, the main office edition. Look at the size of this thing. In fact, the uh, mailbox company I used for my PO box called me up frantically like, you got to come get this thing. It's 160 pounds and we have no room for it. So uh, my wife and I ran over and you can see it takes up the whole back of the Highlander. So uh, that's what the third row down. That thing is big, but uh, I don't know how I'm going to get it back to them. It's on loan to the channel, but I, they said I'll be working with their logistics provider when I'm done. So I got to figure out how to wrap it all back up again, but quite a big printer. I think it's going to be really fast. And if you're into printing like I am, this might be a really fun little thing to play with because I haven't really played with something different in printing technology in quite some time. So I'm eager to check that out. And I'm hoping to check out the EverDrive N8 this week or next as well. This is a flash cartridge that uh, works with the Nintendo Entertainment System. And the folks from Stone Age Gamer let me borrow one of theirs because we were hoping it was going to work with that Hyperkin console I looked at last night. Unfortunately, it doesn't, but I'm going to do a full review of the cartridge anyhow so you can see how it works with a real NES. So we'll uh, be testing this thing out and putting it through its paces. So be on the lookout for that. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We have the tip jar set up at lon.tv slash tip jar. And we have Venmo going at lon at lon.tv if you are outside the U.S. So you can help the channel in many different ways. And we will acknowledge you uh, in the wrap-up video. And then at the credits at the end of each video, I'll be updating that uh, later this week, early next week with all of June's contributors. So be on the lookout for that. If you want to engage with the channel, you can go to my extras channel at lon.tv slash extras for supplementary and additional content. Our email list, which will be going out very shortly at lon.tv slash email for updates on all sorts of things that I'm up to. My Facebook page, which I post on quite frequently at lon.tv slash Facebook. You can see a huge nest of wires I found that has been accumulating over 30 years. Kind of funny how those nests begin to form. And we've got the store at lon.tv slash store where I uh, sell some of the items that I have reviewed here on the channel. And I'm thinking about doing a notification email list for that. If you're interested, let me know down in the comments and I'll put it together. So every time I add an item, I will notify people because I'm seeing a lot of clicks going over to the store. And I bet it would be helpful for a lot of folks to know exactly when things get updated versus having to go and check all the time. So let me know. I will uh, consider doing that. And you can let me know down in the comments. And then all my past live streams are archived at lon.tv slash live streams. And if I get caught up this week, I might do a live stream of that printer as I set it up. It might be kind of fun to see me work with this enormous device here. So you have to get a friend over here to move it. It's big. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. Thank you all for your continued viewership and support. I uh, greatly appreciate it and hope I wasn't going too long today. This is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporters Mark Bollinger, Brian Miller, Mr. Morse, and Cody Falk. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.